Welcome back to Transformative Teaching, a facet at IU podcast. Katie Metz here with my best friend and colleague, Michael Maroney. How you doing, best friend? I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> Good. It's, we've seen each other a lot this week here I know. doing podcasts as we wind down toward hopefully a relaxing Thanksgiving break. It's well, I'm looking forward to that. And, and even though this podcast will go live in, in January, uh, I, because it's November 11th, I do want to uh, just recognize this Veterans Day and thank, thank people for um, what they've done and just remember what they've done. Yeah, absolutely. It was really exciting yeah. today, actually, that you say that because I was explaining to my four-year-old on the way to school what Veterans Day is. And it was, it was fun to be able to say this is something cool that we celebrate the people who've done really, really important things for our country. So speaking of doing important things, Mike Politis, teaching professor, teaching professor in the Department of Communication Studies at IUPUI, facet class of fill in the blank for me, Michael, or Mike. 2022. I should have yeah. known that. That's embarrassing. I'm a newbie. Come on. Oh, man. Come on, Katie. Well, you know, the process of, of inducting members and, and for me writing, what is it, like 26 letters just fries my brain to the point that I know you, Mike. I just don't remember what year I wrote your letter. So welcome yeah, to the podcast. We're really excited you. to have you. Um, thank you. Glad to be here. Excited to have a conversation about uh, some really cool stuff you're doing. So I want to start with something that's near and dear to Michael and I's heart, which is this rank of teaching professor that's so cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, tell, Thank you very much. Tell me about that. As somebody who's heading that direction, Michael has has achieved that that badge or that gold star. Talk to me about that process. What what made it different from senior lecturer when you were thinking about how to frame your your conversation to the reviewers? Um, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, so first, let me say thanks. Thanks so much for having me on here today. And I want to echo what Michael was saying, you know, thanks to any veterans uh, that are listening or uh, and families of veterans that have sacrificed. So thank you so much for those sacrifices. Um, to your question, Katie, though, about teaching professor. So when I first heard that there was going to be a third tier um, uh you know, uh, to to work up to, uh, I was actually very excited because I was one of these people that I'd been senior lecturer since, uh, gosh, I don't know, 2012, maybe. Um, and so I, I was always kind of bothered that I really had no nothing to reach for after that, you know. And so when I first heard that they were going to uh, do that third tier, I got very excited. Um, one of the things that I did is I jumped on the PNT committee. Um, prior the year prior to me going up and I did that um, in part because you know I needed some service and 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 that's that service but the other part is is I wanted to see what the conversations were about in these PNT meetings and what they you know what kinds of things they were looking for even though the year that I at that time they weren't looking they there wasn't anybody going up for teaching professor but they were about to the following year and um so I wanted to see kind of what the conversations were about, what they were looking for. And I really actually learned a lot sitting in on the PNT uh, committee meetings that year. Um, and it kind of helped me get a foot planted in the ground as to like what I really need to do and how I need to shape my materials. So I, the other thing is I wanted to make sure that I went up the first time that I was able to do so. So that first year that they offered teaching professor, my goal was I, I got to do it now. I want to do it now. Right. 
Yeah. Um, it, it also, I think, helped a little that that was the summer of 2020 oh, when I was right. kind of yeah. putting my <laughs> materials together. So we were still in the midst of a pandemic. Lots of stuff was still closed. So like, I had I had the time. But I will tell you that, you know, you asked about the process and, you know, you you get your materials to I think uh, it's an external review. Uh, by I think it's like May 31st it's early yeah for us. pretty <laughs> early and and so you have your external materials by May 31st and then you have the rest of the summer to kind of tweak and get things ready mm -hmm. for the um, internal reviews so once I got the external reviews out of the way I feel like the real work started to kind of tweak things for the um, internal so I remember quite a few uh, and I don't want to deter anybody, but this is just the way that I operated. I remember quite a few 14 hour days yeah. in July, kind of getting this link set up and this link set up and this document here and, you know, calculating these numbers here. And so doing all of that, I felt like it was a good exercise. It was a good review of my career to this point. So um, that was kind of the process for me. And then I feel like once I had that down and I, I knew kind of where the links were going to go and it was going to be easier for the reviewers to just click this link and my, um, you know, in my teaching philosophy and that'll take them to this appendix and stuff that made it a little bit easier for me. But, um, but overall it was a, uh, it was a rewarding process. I'm glad that I did it, but it, it is a tremendous amount of work. Um, so, Mike, I, I went to the this. same summer. And <laughs> yeah, I basically, yeah. the, 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 office, the, the office building that I'm in, I was the only one going into that office that summer. And we have a big oh. conference room. Yeah. And I said, can I just spread all my stuff out here? Yeah. And I literally had every, every inch of table and, and cabinet covered yep. with can I live material. here? Did you, you moved in. So this is an interesting point I yeah. just want to make because like both of you watched the senior lecture um, rank kind of stay stagnant for a long time. I was actually in a situation where I went up for senior lecture right before the teaching professor conversation started. So I had to wait. I'm only eligible, I think this year, or last year is my first year because of that, that time frame. So I'm the one who's like, I'll, I'll be me and a couple of other colleagues I know are going to be among that first class, hopefully, yeah. where it's um the the matriculation timeline seems to be evening out, if that makes sense. And I think it's yeah. equally daunting on, on both ends. So thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting because I know a lot of the people listening are thinking about maybe not just teaching professor, but, but promotion and, and the time in general. And I do want to say that it's very obvious that neither of you have a two-year-old. No. Because <laughs> no. you're like talking about no, camping out in 14 hour there. days. And we I was got, like, how would I, how would I keep my kid alive while I was doing that? That'd be an but interesting in fairness, experiment. In fairness, when I went up for senior lecture, I did have a two. There you go. So, <laughs> there's always so a trade off, that, right? Yeah. What that's for. I, I constantly get reminded that those of you who have older children have done this before. And I, I respect, <laughs> right. I'm here for it. You know, you know, Mike, you said something that, that I really I totally agree with and that, that it's a rewarding process. Putting, yeah. that, putting that dossier together. And, and um, so what did you like learn when you went back and reflected on, I mean, cause you and I have been both, both been faculty for a pretty long time. What, yeah. what, did, you, what did you learn as you reflected on, on your achievements and growth? Um, I mean, that's a great question. And I feel like both, both promotion processes, promotion to senior lecture. So I started at IEPY as a part-time fac uh, faculty member 
2004 and then was hired on full-time in 2005. So I'm at, you know, if you count that part-time year, I'm at year number 19 right now, right? So I went up for senior lecture in 2012. And even that process, as well as the one for teaching professor, uh, teaching professor, really gave me an opportunity to dig really deep and look at what have I done? What have I done that's been effective? What have I done that's really not been very effective? And maybe I need to change it, but I've never really taken the time to go back and look and go, you know what, why have I been doing this assignment for the last five years? It's not really been effective. Let me go back and change that, or let me go back and come up with something totally new. And I think had it not been for the process of promotion, I, I don't know that I would have taken the time to really dig that deep and figure those things out. So when I say it's rewarding, it's rewarding from the standpoint of it sort of makes you go back and look at what you've been doing and, and ask yourself, has this been effective? Yes. Cool. How? Has this other assignment been ineffective? No, it hasn't. Okay. How? What can we change? Maybe we need to put something totally different in there. So that's how it's, that's, that's probably how it's been most rewarding is it's a good reflection of what you've done. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, and I found the same, found the same thing. I mean, it's nice when you're looking back long, you know, years ago, I was promoted in 2007, the senior lecture, and you're looking back and you say, wow, I was doing some really good stuff back then. And, yeah. and I let it go. Okay. What should, is there things that I need to, to bring back into what I'm doing now? And, but, but that, that whole reflection is so, so meaningful and, and it really is, it is a rewarding process. You, yeah. You've ended up, you've ended up in a place where um, you've got uh, a teaching philosophy that looks pretty, I mean, I, I'm guessing that this sort of has developed in kind of the complexity and richness through through the years. Uh, is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I, when I look at my teaching philosophy, uh, when I for teaching professor, it looks a lot different than when I went up for, um, you know, senior lecture. I mean, there's some, some of the kind of general approach to teaching that's the same, um, but, you know, 2012 to 2020, I got eight, eight more years of experience that you learn a lot. You go to a lot of professional development activities. You try to insert things that you've learned there. So yeah, it certainly has evolved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things I'm guessing you were probably doing this a long time ago. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know, Mike has a pretty long history with, with Facet and contributing to our adjunct conference that we do, Falcon. Um, and he's kind of known as the humor guy, he's always used humor. I'm assuming you used humor in your teaching from day one. Um, yeah, I do. And that's one yeah. of the things, you know, if, if you were to ask me, like, why do you love teaching? I love teaching because it really allows me to, it allows me to be myself. And I, I'm very big on letting my personality come through in the classroom to, to the students. And because it, it just, to me, it's just seems more authentic than kind of putting on a front or putting on a face. You know, yeah. um, if if I walk in the classroom and, and I've had a rough morning, like I'm going to tell them, I'm like, hey, sorry, guys, I'm running a little <laughs> bit late today. You know, couldn't get the kids off to school on time. And I think that they they see that, OK, this guy's human, too. 
you, you know, and I think that that helps. And I always use humor in class whenever I can, because that's a part of who I am. Yeah. You know, that humor, these little sarcastic remarks and things that I think that like, I, I let that come through in my teaching because that's me, that's authentic Mike Politis. And for me to try to pretend I'm something else, it, it wouldn't go over. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my, my, it, I have to tell you, your, your teaching philosophy is the only one I've seen where someone mentioned their wife, their proposal to their wife. <laughs> Challenge accepted, right? Yeah. To all of you listening out there. Yeah. Challenge I, 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 uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's a, one of parts of my teaching philosophy is, and granted, I teach communication classes, so that lends mm -hmm. itself to, to certain things too, right? But yeah, I, I mentioned that because, uh, um, you know, my teaching philosophy, I say that, you know, it's important for me to share personal stories because I teach interpersonal communication. So right. a lot of times, you know, you got you got to share. There's a certain level of disclosure. So, um, yeah. yeah, as a matter of fact, next week, we're going to be talking about that area of interpersonal communication. So I'll be bringing that video of my wife and I's proposal. Oh, that's funny. In, uh, into class. Again. So interesting. So, yeah. Mike, I want to touch on something that you talked about. And it, it seems to be a theme in a lot of these podcasts um, as experienced teachers in particular are talking about this sense of your true self and authenticity. But I know when I first started in the classroom as a faculty member, I was 25. Uh, I had students in the classroom who were older than me. And sometimes it was, um, and it continues to be sometimes, right? Difficult to, to put yourself out there. You feel like even if this is your true self, is it the right one? Am I acting? Um, so can you help listeners out there understand the importance of that? I think you've hit on that, but also give some advice about how to encourage that in their own teaching. How do you get to your authentic self given it's really intimidating to be in front of a group like this, especially knowing that course evaluations come at the end for now? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very valid question. And um, I think for me, I, I got to go all the way back. To, I got to go all the way back to high school. Um, I, and, and I'll connect these things here, right? Um, I was part of a speech and debate team in high school. And that's kind of where I learned how to get more comfortable being in front of audiences that I didn't know. Um, because every Saturday I was in front of, you know, I was at a different high school performing in front of audiences that I didn't know. And then in college, I had an internship where I traveled to high schools, talking to high school students about encouraging them to continue their education. So my internship had me at high schools three times a week, talking to high school students across Southern Indiana. So again, sort of cutting my teeth on public speaking, being in front of audiences that I didn't know. Fast forward that I realized that I wanted to teach that that became very apparent um, when I did that internship. So fast forward now to when I was teaching. I had I knew that I had to approach it with a certain level of confidence. And so, Katie, to answer your question, I think all of that public speaking experience. Taught me that if you try to be somebody different than who you are, the audience can see through that. And I don't care if it's a middle school audience, a high school audience, college students, other faculty members, they're going to be able to see through that facade. And so that just 
taught me that you need to be who you are and, and, and allow that to come through and how you teach. And then the other piece of that is, um, and I think this is something that I learned, um, uh, doing presentations I, I, about twice a week, I would speak to three to 500 incoming college freshmen and their parents as part of the uh, summer orientation program at IUPUI. And what those public speaking experiences taught me is that this is what I've prepared. This is what I've got. If you don't like it, come back tomorrow. We'll be doing something different. And that's kind of, I just developed that confidence to be able to say, like, put it all out there. And go like, this is, how, this is who I am. You know what I mean? You're going to like some professors. You're not going to like others. But this is who I am. And I stopped worrying. And I think this is the big takeaway to your point, Katie. I stopped worrying so much about what others were thinking about me. And I think that once I came to that realization of this is me, this is who I am, this is what I prepared today, you know, and stop worrying so much about what other people were thinking, I was able to focus more on teaching effectively. I got to tell you, for me, public speaking was something where like when I was in college, I would drop a class if I had to do any public speaking. And I went into a field of, of being a lawyer, right? And what do you do in, in the law when you're a litigator like I am? You're going to court. You're in yeah. front of you talk all the time. You yeah. talk <laughs> all the time. And I, the, what happened for me was I went to court the very first day and I had that realization that you're talking about. It's not about me. And it, I, need to, I, need to, I need to communicate with the, the, the judge, the, the opposing counsel, my client, and I, it needs to be authentic or, or someone else is going to be hurt by this. You know, it's like, yeah. so it was, it was a really interesting uh, way to come to that realization. Yeah. That's an interesting point, Michael. I just want to hit on is especially in, in higher education where students are relying on you. I say this in every single thing I do. Students are relying on you to, to, um, feel like they accomplish their learning objectives at the end of the semester. And if they can't trust that you're being yourself, I think that um, what Michael just said is that that translates to a lot of cases. Can we really trust what you're saying? If you're yeah. that, you know, um, unsure about who you are. So sorry, Michael, I just wanted to hit on that really quickly because there's a lot of trust building in just how you oh, presenting yeah. yourself as a communicator, regardless of what you're spewing out. I mean, I teach a, in a field where if I get it wrong, it's really bad, but um yeah. <laughs> That's a communication is such an important component of that establishment. Yeah. And that does help too, that, it, that I teach yeah. in communication. And so it's one of those, you know, sort of practical skills that everybody needs to learn how to be an effective communicator. So the nature of the courses that I teach also lends itself well to being able to be your true authentic sure. self. Sure, I just right? feel like it's an important thing that everybody needs to know though. It, it is, and I don't want to paint the picture like I come into class and it's all about me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm simply, I mean, I, you know, another part of who I am is I genuinely care about these students and how they perform and what's going on in their lives. You know, I, I really make an effort 
to take the time before class, after class to chat with these students and say, hey, you know, Katie, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in classic for a couple of days, you know, everything going okay? Or, you know, you know, hey, Michael, you know, listen, tell me about your other classes. How are those going? You know, I have these conversations because I'm, I'm really interested in these students. And if I've got athletes in the class, you know, hey, how was the game the other night, you know? I'm genuinely interested in that. And I think that to your point, Katie, that also helps build that rapport and that trust with the students. And if you don't have that, if you haven't taken the time to invest in those conversations and what you learn about them and build that rapport and build that trust, if you haven't taken the time to do that, it makes that authenticity uh, really difficult. You know, I, I love this conversation about trust. And uh, one of the things that it makes that brings up for me is, uh, you know, when we're when we're new faculty and we're, we're jumping in and we don't really know as much about teaching as learn and learning as we will later. We a lot of us have like a champion, someone who is a mentor, someone who we can really rely on. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, can, do you have any stories of having a champion and, and how that affected your growth? Yeah. Um, I think that that starts. I can tell you who made me want to teach. And that is, uh, I definitely credit my, my high school speech and debate coach, um, Lynn Bustle. I mean, that's who, that's who really kind of gave me the, the teaching bug, if you will. And I think without her guidance early on, things would have been really difficult. And then fast forward, you know, to when I was in graduate school, uh, you know, to and I had a graduate teaching assistantship where I taught public speaking and whatnot. And one of my professors at Ball State, um, Dr. Laura O'Hara, she was another really um, mentor for me. And then um, fast forward to when I was hired at IUPUI, um, one of my mentors who I, Michael, I know you know her, Kate, I don't know if you know, um, Kate Thedwall. And Kate Thedwall was just a, she's just a tremendous, tremendous influence on me early in my IUPUI teaching career. Um, certainly guided me through that process of promotion to senior lecturer. Um, so those are some of my early influences to really help me, help shape me into the teacher that I am today. So I, I yeah, I, by the way, we all miss having Kate around. Yeah, I really do. <laughs> I mean, I hear so many, so many people say, oh yeah, Kate, Kate was influential in, in my early teaching development, even, even beyond early. I mean, yeah. she was, she was a really, truly a master teacher. Yeah. A facet um, legend. A facet legend, yes, and an right. IUPUI legend too, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Katie, Mike, this is—I've been so fascinated. I'm just like listening and enjoying this whole thing. Okay. Um, I want to translate to have more of your in-classroom, sure. You know, stuff. I'll say. I love that word. Um, yeah. Which is you talk about light bulb moments a lot. So, as somebody yeah. who had the privilege of reading your learn um, last year and. And being so fascinated by by your approach, tell me about the light bulb moment. I, we we can all say it, but but what does yeah. that mean to you? How do you translate that into effective learning outcomes for your students? Oh yeah, no, those light bulb moments are are as we all know, those are those moments kind of where you you look into the you look into the eyes of your students and you can just see 
for them. And it's not all of them at once. Sometimes, sometimes it's just one or two at, at once, <laughs> yep. but you look and you look into their eyes and you and you just kind of mentally say, ah, yes, they are, they got it. Right. And, and for me, those light bulb moments come um, a lot of times when I teach um, interpersonal communication, because that's, that's a class that's all about, you know, relationships that we have with other people. And I might say something like, uh, you know, something I might not give another thought to like, uh, you know, in order to really, in order to really be an effective communicator, you have to be a good listener. Now, now that might seem like, oh, well, duh, right. But for some of these students that have never really thought about it like that, they hear that and they go, oh, okay, that's why my girlfriend broke up with me. I don't listen. Okay. Well, I better start listening. You know, and, and so when you, you see it and you see it resonate with them and then those light bulb moments also sometimes don't come in the classroom, but they come when you're reading something that they wrote and you can tell when you read a sentence that, oh, that must be the moment where they got it. So I've seen, I've seen students write things like, you know, because we talked about some, uh, because we talked about effective conflict management in class. I am now I, I, I now made up um, uh, made up with my dad who I, I had this happen one time uh, where a student had not talked to his father in 10 years. But because of an assignment that we did in class where I asked him to go out and um, have a conversation with somebody and um, just be a listener. And um, he took that as an opportunity to reach back out to his dad that he hadn't talked to in 10 years. And he wrote in, in, in his paper, like this was my, uh, he didn't call it a light bulb moment, but this was a, an awakening for me that what I haven't been doing is I just haven't been an effective listener. And thanks to this assignment, I was able to reach out to my dad. We're now on talking terms again. You know, that's a, an extreme example, but I think that's the power that what we do as educators, that's the power that we have in our hands that I think a lot of teachers underestimate the power that we have when we're in front of a class and the difference that we can make. I don't oh, know if I answered story. your question. Did I answer your question? Absolutely. And then some, that's okay. crazy. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, that, that, that talk about impact story. beyond the classroom. You win. Yeah. Not that there are winners, but if there were, you you would have won yeah. with that story. Yeah. I think we have time so for a couple I, more I want, questions. I, yeah. I want to circle back a little bit to, and sure. I know Katie likes to go in this direction a lot this, in this podcast. Ooh. You mentioned earlier talking about, your, uh, about the rewarding aspects of the dossier and identifying things that were not as effective as, as you hoped they would be. And uh, there are kind of two things about this. Um, is there any kind of like characteristic of, of what would be not effective in your mm -hmm. field? And how did that, how did it feel just uncovering that? Oh, uh, that was my light bulb moment. <laughs> okay. There I, mean, you go. I mean, it's, you know, students have light bulb moments, but you know, so do we. And so, yeah, as I was reflecting on those things, the, the light bulb moment came for me when reviewing kind of what I've done, you know, over the last eight years or whatever, um, when I was going up for promotion to teaching professor. And one of the things I realized is tests and exams, like I get it. We have to assess how they're doing. And, and I, I understand that piece of it, but I really I really did a lot of thinking about that. And to answer your question, Michael, when I went back and I was like, all right, 
do I want them? Do, do, I, I get that I need to assess them. There's got to be other ways to assess whether or not they've learned this material other than having them answer, you know, 50 multiple choice questions indicating that they do or don't know this stuff, that they're just going to forget the next day. And so that's where I really started thinking about what else can I do? So what I did is I came up with alternative assignments that still assessed whether or not they understood the material, but did so in a more of an applicable way. So to give you an example of this, um, in, in one of my classes, um, I used to give tests. I, I still do give tests, but instead of a final exam, I replaced the final exam with a digital storytelling assignment. And so in the digital storytelling assignment, which comes at the end of the semester, I ask, I ask them, this is an interpersonal communication class, four prompts. What did you learn in this class? How have you been able to apply what you've learned to your, your relationships with others? Um, how do you think you'll be able to apply what you learned in the workforce after you graduate? What do you think would happen if everybody took? an interpersonal communication class. Those are the four prompts that I had. So what the students then do is they have to create a four to five minute uh, digital story with their voiceover, their narration. They have to find pictures to uh, mirror what their, their, their narration is saying. And then they put a little kind of background music to it. And I was blown away at what I saw from the students. And I knew after the first um, you know, couple of times that I did that assignment, I knew that this was much more effective than a final exam. Much more effective. One, because they actually had a, a, a piece of media that they can now share with somebody else in a job interview to say, hey, look what I'm capable of doing. Um, but another reason is you can hear in the narration and how they were addressing the prompts you could just hear that they were so appreciative of what they learned. And, and that told me that this is way better than, than what a final exam would have assessed. Wow. That's, so, that's so interesting. And I, I agree with you, by the way, I, uh, I've, yeah. I've gone through a similar process and, and it's, um, it's fascinating to, to come to that realization, isn't it? And you go, yes. I, I mean, you went to a completely kind of authentic assessment there. And yeah. You know, it's it's reflective, it's authentic. Um, there's really no way a student could cheat on that that assessment either. By the way, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. No, not really. Like, I'm gonna know if if that's not his voice, I'm gonna probably know that. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know. Yeah, Mike, this yeah. has been such a so fun like James and Earl Jones. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yes. <laughs> yep. Mike, this has been such a fun and fascinating conversation. We really appreciate you taking time out of your Friday morning. Um, for us, maybe not for you listeners, to um, to talk to us about such incredible, cool stuff. Any last piece of advice or, or words, like one sentence of what you want people to know about you from transformative teaching? And if not, you can just say, happy Friday. This is cool. I think, you know, my advice would be be who you are, do what you love, take care of the students. And we cannot ask for a more perfect ending than that. Thank you so much, Mike. Okay.